This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include mature themes and abusive cultural values including forced birth, military indoctrination, and psychological manipulation of adolescents. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 260. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 1 of my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, we were introduced to Abby Preston, a young girl with extraordinary abilities. Abby is a powerful telepath who can hear the thoughts and feelings of people around her. Since her parents do not share this power, Abby has not had anyone to teach her how to control it. As a result, she is often plagued by nightmares. Faced with thoughts and feelings she often does not understand, Abby's brain interprets these signals through dreams and stories. Late one October night, Abby has a dream about a king and queen who lived in a faraway land. They had one daughter, a princess. In her nightmare, the king and queen were strangled to death by a terrible monster who wanted to take the princess away from them. When she woke, a frightened Abby went to her parents' bedroom, as she always did when she'd had a bad dream. This time, though, mother and father did not wake up. Abby pulled back the blankets and found that her parents were not breathing. Abby hid in the darkness of her parents' room for a long time, afraid that the monster would come back for her. It was almost morning when the door to their apartment opened itself and a man came inside. He came to the bedroom and turned on the light. He was tall and handsome, with long blonde hair and storm-gray eyes, and he wore a black-and-gray uniform with a beret. Looking down at the dead couple on the bed, he stroked a mother's hair and sighed. "'Are you the monster?' Abby asked. The man looked down at her, smiling sadly. No, he said, I'm not a monster. My name is Victor. I'm here to rescue you. Our story continues, eight months later. Making the Cut A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Part 1. Bust. Chapter 1. June 5th, 1990. Christos Reckoning. 
Daniel Sharabi surveyed the court with the keen eye of a commander viewing the battlefield. On the ground floor, his team members waited, spread out in a loose attack formation, as they waited for him to pass the ball in bounds. Fiona Hinconnell, the shooting guard, stood in a hunched posture, her arms bent before her. Her pale, freckled face was drenched in sweat, and her short red hair was matted to her head in stringy curls, but her expression was a mask of calm control. Next to her was the point guard, Kevin Darby, his own auburn hair a tangled mess, but his eyes bright and eager. Further up was the center, Tracembara, two hundred centimeters of Arambian muscle. He grinned at Daniel, his white, even teeth brilliant against his rich brown skin. At the front was his fellow forward, Del Matthews, a theriomorph whose wolfish features did more to intimidate opponents than even Trace's towering height. Del was panting like a dog on a hot summer day, but his amber eyes were focused and hungry. The Westfall Academy warriors were out for blood. The opposing team, the Metamore Central Falcons, stood waiting on the higher levels of the Skyball Court, their feet firmly planted to the alternate gravity planes of the upper tiers. Most of them were bigger than his players. The guards were twin theriomorphs with gazelle blood, capable of bursts of speed that would put most players to shame. Their center was a towering senior from Arabarb, who must have outweighed Trace by 50%. Beyond the mall was the goal, a circular hoop nine decimeters across that was suspended 15 meters above the arena floor. Daniel bared his teeth at them with a predator's joy. None of it would make the slightest bit of difference. He threw the ball inbounds to Kevin, starting the clock, then ran to the front of the formation. He hit the jump pad with both feet together and soared three meters up to the first tier on the left, landing in front of the enemy forward. They were now at a 45-degree angle to the floor, but he adjusted to the new gravity field as naturally as breathing. Dell hit the tier on the right side, while Trace hit the center pad and leapt a full six meters to the second tier, a thin strip of court that hung parallel to the ground. Kevin passed the ball up to Daniel, who grinned at the lanky young man in front of him. He dribbled the ball from one hand to the other, then juked to the left. His opponent overcommitted, and Daniel spun right and cut around him, passing up to Trace before hitting the next pad and leaping up to the third tier. Trace caught it in one enormous hand without looking, then turned to face the big Northlander in front of him. His opponent waved his long arms in front of Trace, trying to disrupt his vision and break his concentration, but the Arambian hardly seemed to notice. He flipped the ball up to Dell one-handed, who caught it as easily as if it had been homing in on his fingertips. He growled and snapped at the guard in front of him, and the gazelle's nerve broke for an instant as his prey instincts reasserted themselves. Dell charged past him and tossed the ball to the fourth tier, where Trace and the Northlander were already waiting. The hoop was three meters above Trace and six meters back, and the Northlander had backed off a couple of steps, clearly expecting Trace to take the shot. At that moment, however, Daniel could see Fiona racing up the court along the third tier on the right side, darting past defenders with inhuman speed. She hit the jump pad at the end of the third tier and bounced onto the fourth, behind the Northlander center, 
before darting toward the final jump pad and leaping into the air toward the hoop. Trace's throw was timed perfectly and landed between her outstretched hands, high over the Northlander's head. Fiona did a flip in midair and sailed through the goal feet first, carrying the ball with her. The scoreboard ticked up three more points for the Warriors, as Fiona landed safely in the net beyond the hoop. Daniel laughed and jogged back toward the Warriors' end of the court, getting ready for the Falcons' attack. The only hard part about this, he thought, is trying not to make it look too easy. The sun was shining brightly on the grounds of the Westfall Academy campus, seated as it was atop one of Metamore City's highest towers. Irises and lilies were blooming in the gardens as the warriors met up with their friends and classmates, who had been watching from the stands. A hundred and twenty-six to ninety, Brian crowed, giving Daniel a high five. If the championship game has ever seen a shellacking like that before, I've never heard of it. Makes you feel sorry for the Mundies, Sasha said, her blonde white ponytail swinging as she ran up to hug Fiona. The redhead received the hug with restrained but genuine affection, before drawing back with a small smile. I don't know why we should, she said, her emerald green eyes glittering with pride and amusement. They played to the best of their ability. We can hardly feel guilty for being better than they are. Sasha snorted. Somehow I doubt that they took your egoist abilities into account when they wrote the rules, she said. Or Trace's ESP, or Dell's Teak. Fiona rolled her eyes. Oh yes, let us all cry for the poor Mondays. They only rule the world, after all. She ran a hand fondly down the side of Sasha's cheek, then pinched it lightly. You are too compassionate for your own good. Sasha grabbed Fiona's hand and pulled her close, planting a kiss on her cheek. Obviously, she said, smiling wickedly. I still hang around you, after all. Del and Trace hooted at Sasha's retort, growing even louder when Fiona answered Sasha's kiss with one on the lips. Bite your tongue, wench, she said, when they came up for air. You first, Sasha purred. Daniel! Daniel looked up to see Rebecca running across the quad, the sun gleaming against her golden tan skin as her silky brown hair streamed out behind her. He caught her in his arms and spun her around, eliciting a shriek of delight. Their lips met in a kiss that rivaled Sasha and Fiona's in the number of approving hoots and whistles. That was awesome, she said, her dark eyes sparkling. You think that was good? Wait till tonight. Daniel grinned. Rebecca made a small sound of mock outrage and punched him in the shoulder. Pervert, she said, grinning right back at him. I meant the game. Oh, oh, the game. Yes, that was pretty good too, wasn't it? Bah, said Trace, slapping hands with Brian. We could have put another fifty points on the board if Fiona hadn't been dogging it. No offense, Del. Har-har, Dell said, sending out a finger of telekinetic energy to make Trace's large gold earring smack three times against the side of his face. Trace is right, though. This game would have been even more of a joke if we could have really cut loose with our powers. Sure, Daniel said, 
and the next day they'd pass a bunch of rules to ban size from playing Skyball. Or else they put so many restrictions on what we could do that any egoist with a shred of talent would be accused of cheating. Daniel's right, Brian said, adjusting his wire-rimmed glasses on the bridge of his nose. Better for you guys to keep it subtle. Besides, Kevin added, it keeps the game interesting for low-power types like Dan and me. We can't let you wonder, kids, show us up all the time. Trace chuckled, a deep, basso rumble. Man, now you sound like a Mundi. All right, enough ragging on the have-nots for one day, said Sasha. Can we eat now? I'm starving. Sounds good to me, said Daniel. The headmaster promised a party for the whole creche if we won the championship. They should be setting it up in the Great Hall right now. They entered the Great Hall to the raucous cheers of their classmates, and quickly set to work devouring a small mountain of fried chicken, barbecued ribs, and corn on the cob. Soda drinks were brought in by the crate load, a rarity for Westfall, where juice and bottled water were the norm, and the teenaged heroes toasted each other with upraised bottles of root beer and cola. So much for the Falcons, Kevin said, as they lingered at the table waiting for dessert. Now comes the hard part. Rebecca, who had been idly drawing in her pocket sketchbook, dropped her pencil and smacked a hand over her face in dismay. Exit exams, she groaned. Holy Marai, daughter of gods, pray for we sinners. Both now and in the hour of our death, Danielle agreed morosely. I'm so nervous I think I'm going to barf, Rebecca said. She picked up her pencil again and started doodling religious icons around the corners of the page. That's not nerves, Bex, Sasha said, smirking. It's that third plate of ribs you had. I was hungry, Rebecca said defensively. Just because you eat like a bird doesn't mean everyone's got to. She looked over at Daniel. I don't really eat too much, do I? Daniel ran an appreciative look over Rebecca's curves. No complaints here, he said. She was maybe ten kilos over what some people would call ideal weight, but damn, she carried it in some nice places. Look, there is no point in getting worked up over the exams, Fiona said. Your abilities are what they are. You have had the last twelve years to learn how to use them. The only purpose of the exams is to attach a number to those talents, so the hive knows best how to use you. This isn't like a history class that you can do better on with an eleventh-hour cramming session. I know, Rebecca said, her tone resigned. But so much of our future hangs on it. What if our powers aren't strong enough? What if they decide we aren't good enough to qualify for the breeding cells? Kevin snorted. Small chance of that. You're a female teep, you're attracted to men, and you have a pulse. Of course you'll qualify for a breeding cell. Every population is limited by the number of fertile wombs available, Fiona said in a sing-song imitation of the Academy's sex education instructors. For the Psy Collective to maximize its reproductive fitness and promote the survival of our people, every woman of childbearing age must be prepared to conceive as often as the financial constraints of the local hive will allow. She made a disgusted noise and held up the birth control amulet around her neck, a premium long-life model built around a mithril core. Screw that, 
she said. Trace raised an eyebrow, glancing at Sasha and then back to Fiona. And you need that thing why, exactly? Fiona gave him a look that was all cool, hardened steel. I'm bisexual, Trace, not gay. The fact that I never offered any favors to you hardly means that I'm completely unmoved by the male physique. Trace grinned and flexed one tattooed bicep. Babe, if you aren't moved by this physique, you may as well be on life support. Fiona's eyes narrowed, and Daniel saw her muscles rippling as she channeled her psychometabolic energy into boosting her strength. Gulp. So, hey, he said quickly, hoping to forestall any impending violence. Is anybody planning on taking the aptitude tests for military work? I hear that the MID liaison is going to be watching the exit exams. Fiona turned her gaze back to Daniel, instantly calm again. She shrugged casually. Of course. I know my power rating will be high enough, and it is about time that someone showed MID that egoists are just as useful as telepaths. She smirked. Besides, it's my best chance to avoid being turned into a baby-making machine. I'm not crazy about the idea, Brian said, but the elders asked me to take the tests, so I will. Electrokinesis is pretty rare, especially in my power range. He pushed his glasses up a little higher. I'm hoping they'll give me a desk job, cryptanalysis or something like that. Fiona's in, so I'm in, said Sasha. They can always use more teeps, and my range is more than decent. Daniel looked over at the others. Dell. Kevin? Trace? No way, said Kevin. My pyro talent can barely heat a cup of coffee. I'm going to use some. They've already accepted me for their applied kinesiology program. Kinesi-whatomy? Rebecca asked. Sports medicine, Daniel said. Kevin grimaced. That's an oversimplification, but basically, yes. I suppose I'll give the MID tests a try, Dell drawled idly stacking salt shakers on top of each other with his telekinesis. Five years of active duty doesn't seem like a bad deal for the perks they give you. And we all know how good I'll look in a uniform, Trace said. Daniel nodded. Almost everybody, then. What about you and Becca? Sasha asked, frowning. Uh-uh, Rebecca said, vigorously shaking her head. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Give me a spot in a breeding cell and a bunch of art supplies, and I'll be happy. She looked up at Daniel. Hey, what do you think about graphic design? Empire U has a good program for it. Sounds perfect for you, Daniel said encouragingly. He turned back to Sasha. Bex and I are going to try to get approved as the start of a new breeding cell. As for work, he shrugged. Probably just something local. Business, or maybe medicine. Cynodyne always needs people, and you can do a lot worse than working for a healthcare giant if you plan on having a lot of kids. That sounds terribly dull, Fiona said, quirking an eyebrow at him. Why not take the tests? You were near the top of the class in combat training, and your psychic healing is a useful talent for a soldier. Daniel fidgeted uncomfortably. I don't know. I don't think I'm that good at it. Well, hey, let's not worry about it for now. Brian said. We'll all find out one way or another tomorrow, right? He smiled and raised his root beer. For now, let's celebrate. 
We're graduating, we're champions, and we're the next crop of spookies about to be unleashed on an unsuspecting public. The world is our oyster. Hear, hear, the rest of them shouted, raising their drinks in unison. Rebecca took a long drink from her soda and then looked thoughtful. Okay, so, the world is our oyster. Can anyone explain that to me? Because oysters are kind of nasty. June 6th Are they taking longer with her, or is it just me? Daniel asked, pacing back and forth in front of the entrance to claim an auditorium. It was the largest lecture hall on campus, and 2,000 adults from the local hive were assembled inside. Fiona consulted her watch, then leaned back against the lamppost and closed her eyes. Seventeen minutes and counting. It's just you, Sasha confirmed, nestling in beside her. Daniel kept pacing. He couldn't help it. I hope she does all right, he said, eyes flickering back and forth to each of their faces. Not that she isn't smart, but sometimes she just... He waved a hand incoherently. She'll be fine, Brian assured him. You remember when she channeled our 10th grade monology practical a week ahead of time? She's a natural. Daniel nodded. Rebecca had felt guilty for weeks that her ESP had given them an unfair advantage, until she finally confessed to the teacher. He'd laughed it off, pointing out to her that if he didn't expect that sort of thing in a campus full of aspers, then he wouldn't be smart enough to be teaching them anyway. I just hope she doesn't get too nervous, he said, scratching the back of his neck. His collar was itching him today for some reason, and it was driving him nuts. That's a lot of eyes to have on you at once. It's not that bad, Del said casually. He was flopped on his back in the middle of a small patch of grass under a maple tree, which had been transplanted to the top of the skyscraper when the campus was built. I mean, sure, sinking into a gestalt that big is kind of like dancing naked on the front steps of the Citadel, but then the test starts and you don't have time to think about it. Daniel didn't think that sounded all that encouraging. He felt sweat beating up on his forehead. Sasha looked up at him, concerned. She shifted her gaze to Fiona, who opened her eyes and gave Daniel a speculative look. She sighed. Oh, for heaven's sake she said, but she got up along with Sasha and stood at the edge of the path. She joined hands with Sasha on one side and reached out to Brian on the other, who was already moving from his spot on the park bench. Dell and Trace joined them a moment later, creating a ring with one open position. Daniel stared, then shook his head. Now, come on, guys, I'm fine, really. You're going to pieces, Sasha said gently, her hand stretched out to him, and not just about Rebecca. Come on, you need this. Let us help. Daniel stopped pacing, head hung. He looked up at them in turn, their eyes sympathetic. Even Fiona, who was impatient at his stubbornness but genuinely wanted to help. Sighing, he stepped forward and took Sasha and Trace's hands. Sasha smiled at him encouragingly, and sent out a tendril of thought around the circle, initiating the link. Everyone in the circle was a telepath of one degree or another, though Sasha was by far the strongest of them. No one hesitated to grab the link as it touched their minds. 
In the space of two heartbeats, they let down their defenses, each one pouring his or her own thoughts into the current as it rushed by. The link deepened from a trickle to a flood, until concepts like he and she and I had been swallowed up in we. We're afraid. That's nothing new. We've been afraid before, and we're still here. It's never been this important before. It's just a number. It's not who we are. We are strong, powerful, bold, handsome, beautiful. The paragons of humankind. Oh, please. Full of ourselves much? And why not? We are what's next. We're not afraid of the future. We are the future. We are united. We look out for one another. Always. We will survive. No, thrive. Triumph over adversity. We're a family, and nothing's gonna change that. Not nobody, not know how. The strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Okay, we totally stole that. Yeah, but it fits. Here's another one. Many strands make one rope, and together we won't be broken. Okay, everybody get ready. Back in your heads and let me hear you shout. One, two, three. Westfall! They shouted in unison, breaking the gestalt. Daniel was back in his own head, but he'd brought with him Trace's confidence, Fiona's steely resolve, Dell's energy, Brian's optimism, and Sasha's steady faith that everything would work out as it should. He embraced it all, took it into himself, and found strength in it. He was breathing calmly now, and the knot in his stomach was gone. Even his shirt collar didn't seem to be bothering him anymore. Thanks, guys, Daniel said, smiling gratefully. I didn't know how much I needed that. Anytime, man, Trace said, giving Daniel a firm thump on the back. You'll be fine, Sasha told him, patting his hand. The door to the auditorium opened, and Daniel turned to see Rebecca come bounding out, her face alight with joy. Level nine, she squealed, triumphant. Level 9 Esper, level 5 Teeb, I don't believe it! Daniel caught her and picked her up. Their lips met, then he set her back down, both of them laughing. Wow, he said, genuinely impressed. A power level of 9 was well above average, comparable to a first-degree master mage. Rebecca was theoretically in the top 15 or 16 percent of all espers everywhere. They said I can go to uni if I want to, she said, turning her spotlight smile toward each of them in turn. I did well enough in my classes that they'll give me a full scholarship. She clasped her hands to her chest and looked skyward, as if in rapture. Then they want me in a breeding cell, making lots of little baby espers, she added, laughing. Fiona rolled her eyes, but she smiled and accepted a hug from Rebecca when she ran over to her. I'm glad you are happy. Congratulations. Thanks, Rebecca said, taking turns hugging each of them. Well, looks like somebody's pleased. Daniel turned around to see a man stepping out of the auditorium. He was tall and good-looking, with straw-blonde hair and gray eyes, and he wore the black and gray uniform and black beret of the Military Intelligence Directorate. Daniel recognized him instantly. Colonel Victor, he said, bowing to his combat instructor. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Kano, the other said, quickly standing to attention and bowing in unison. Good afternoon, cadets, he said, bowing to them in return. 
I understand that some of you are going to be taking the optional tests for MID service. Yes, Kano, Fiona said. All of us except Miss Brower. And maybe me, Daniel added. I haven't had my exit exam yet. Yes, I know, Victor said mildly. They wanted me to tell you that they're ready for you. Daniel nodded. He felt a flutter of fear in his stomach, but only for a moment. The strength his friends had given him through the gestalt was still with him. I'll be right there, he promised. He turned to Rebecca and took her in his arms. Wish me luck, he asked her. She grabbed the front of his shirt and pulled him down to her level, locking lips with him in a kiss that could have melted glass. She released him and took a step back, smiling impishly. Good luck, she said, winking. Victor coughed politely. <clears throat> All right, then, he said, giving Daniel a look that seemed to carry newfound admiration. If the rest of you will follow me, we'll begin your MID testing. He strode off through the midst of them at a slow, even pace, clearly expecting the others to fall into line behind him and not even looking back to see if he was being obeyed. See you soon, Daniel, Brian said, raising a hand in parting. Remember what we told you, said Sasha. Daniel nodded, waving to each of them as they said their farewells. Rebecca settled in on a park bench and smiled up at him. Go on, she said. I'll wait for you. Taking a deep breath, Daniel turned and entered the auditorium, where the assembled hive waited to judge his destiny. And that's the end of chapter one. Come back next time when Daniel faces the judgment of the Metamore Hive. Ken Casey said, One of the dumbest things you were ever taught was to write what you know, because what you know is usually dull. Remember when you first wanted to be a writer? Eight or ten years old, reading about thin-lipped heroes flying over mysterious viney jungles toward untold wonders? That's what you wanted to write about, about what you didn't know. So, what mysterious time and place don't we know? Well, come along with me and let's explore those uncharted lands. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of October 24th through October 30th. I wrote 3,856 words this week, over the course of 6.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 593 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 196 days without breaking my chain. Looking back at the month of October, I wrote a total of 19,448 words over 26 days, averaging 748 words per day. That ranks 24th out of 66 months since I started this podcast. Compared to September, my word count increased by 114%, and my writing time increased by 135%. This week, the last week of October, Mel and I were supposed to go to Michigan to visit my family. Unfortunately, both Michigan and Wisconsin are in the midst of a new surge in coronavirus cases, so it wasn't safe for us to go see anyone, especially not my grandparents, both of whom are in their late 80s. 
So instead, we took a long weekend together, brought the dogs out to Governor Dodge State Park, and got some projects done around the house, like cleaning out the refrigerator and putting the garden to bed for the winter. I'm disappointed not to see my family, but I also have to admit that it would have been stressful, and adding vacation stress on top of COVID stress and election stress is not something I need right now. We're going to take another look at things in January, and if the pandemic has hit a lull, we'll try again. If not, we'll just have to wait until it's safe to do so. I used some of the time on my days off to look again at the last couple of chapters of Honor Bound. As I mentioned last week, I've been uncertain about what direction to take this story, since the spot where I'd ended up did not really match what I'd planned for Act 3 of the book when I wrote the outline. Fortunately, with some extra time to think, I was able to see a way to tie together the book I've actually written with the set piece that I intended to use for the climax. Even better, I was able to bring back a character who I'd set up at the beginning of the book to serve as a foil for honor, and force the two of them to work together. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. The story is now in chapter 28, and the manuscript is over 73,000 words. Over on the Patreon feed, we have a new patron this week. Please welcome James. If you like this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the very best way to support me. Roughly 91% of what you pledge goes directly to me. That's a higher percentage than for any other income stream I have as an author. Pledge at least $3 a month, and you'll get access to the first draft of Honor Bound while I'm writing it as well as sneak peeks, cover reveals, character bios, and other cool stuff. Plus, all of my patrons get exclusive Metamorph City bonus art, and my behind-the-episode author commentaries. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.